Support for the show comes from Indeed. If you need to hire, you may need Indeed. Indeed is a matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I'm coming to you live, not from Vox Media headquarters, but from my bedroom where I'm sitting on the floor because that's how we're making podcasts these days. I hope you're well. I hope you're safe. And I hope what we're making is something that you want to hear and that gives you a little joy or information or both. Um, thank you for all the nice words about the stuff we made last week. We're going to make many more in the future. Uh, we've got a two-parter for you today. Two interviews with two men who make comedy for a living. John Lovett uh, works for Cricket Media and does Potsy of America, Love It or Leave It. We recorded that this week in Los Angeles. We've also got a recording with John Gabris, who also makes comedy for a living. He is a podcaster and comedian who's also in Los Angeles. That interview I did with him in L.A. back when you could actually travel to L.A. and talk to people in real life. Uh, I think you're going to like both of these. Uh, we're going to talk to John Lovett first. This is a really good conversation. I find it both interesting and funny and inspirational. I think you will, too. Welcome, John Lovett, co-founder of Crooked Media, co-host of Pod Save America, host of Love It or Leave It. Am I missing any honorifics or titles? I think that'll do it. Okay. That'll do it. Thank you for making time, John. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. What is the correct uh, salutation or opening remark at this point? Do you say, how are you doing? Or how's it going? Or hope you're <sighs> doing okay? It's different in email, I know, as well as, as a conversation. Very good question, you know, hanging in there is such a cliche, but also cliches are really valuable during periods of trauma. So I, I think the key thing is to give yourself the space to use cliches and to not worry too much about it. Next etiquette question. When someone says, how are you doing? How much time are you supposed to spend telling them how you're doing? Are you supposed to say, ah, it's, you know, or something like that and then move on? Here's how I've resolved that for myself. I just say, I say this, which is some version of staying upbeat with moments of profound dread. That's a very good encapsulation. It's also literally how I feel. Yeah, that's how I feel right now. And I, by the way, that's an incredibly privileged position to be in. So I reflect that. I guess, you know, what, what, I, what I think is happening is everyone realized all at once on the exact same day that they cannot talk about their quotidian complaints. <laughs> like we all have little things, like all the little problems of life did not go away, but nobody cares and nobody's interested and you feel strange even bringing them up. Well, I feel very shame because I've been going with the quotidian stuff. Like I wish I would have fixed my roof. Um, and so I didn't have to have a bucket in my office, but that's <laughs> yeah. There I'm are at. things that you know, well, I think you have to also have the, the, the space to complain about the things that you know are not actually issues, but are just the small things. Like I don't have ice because my ice, my the ice thing on my fridge doesn't work. I'm not going to make that a subject of a podcast. But oh, uh, I know, that's I know, that. I know a way you can get ice using your exact your existing equipment. We can talk about it offline. It involves one of okay, those trays. Okay, okay, it's an old school okay. thing. Um, I did want to talk to you about what you're doing uh, professionally these days uh, in terms of running a podcast company, hosting podcasts. Um, if you guys are listening to this, you probably have, you probably are listening to Pod Save America. You know how they're producing that. You may be listening to Love It or Leave It, which I love, um, which is usually a live show. And for the last two weeks has been been what? There's There's been kind of an audience for it. How have you been so, doing it? Yeah, I will say like, you know, we've been very fortunate. So we have... 
an executive who runs our company named uh, Sarah Wick, and she is a brilliant, incredibly capable leader. And she really made sure that at each step along the way, we were prepared. So it was a credit to her and the team at Crooked that uh, before we went to work from home, we were thinking about what's our plan for work from home. When we went to work from home, we were thinking what's our plan for when we can't even go to the office to do the studios. You know, this started, I think one of the first decisions we had to make was we had to pull down the first batch of live uh, uh, touring shows. So, uh, Which is a big part of what you guys do, right? Yes, it's a, you know, it's a a significant part of what we do. And we realized we had to start taking those down at first because, and nobody was telling us when to do this. There was no rules, no guide, uh, but we just, at a certain point, we made a decision. And so first we took down those bigger tour shows and then we realized we couldn't do Love It or Leave It even at the improv, even when that was still a possibility. It's a smallish, smallish comedy theater in LA. Right, West so 150 LA. people, yeah. right? So we we started by taking down the shows that were going to be 1,500, 2,000. That was obviously a no-brainer. And then very quickly, I mean, amazing how quickly it happened, right? I mean, it's the same thing. We all went through this. We all, like, on one day we say, is it okay to go to restaurants? By the next day, the restaurants are closed. So we were thinking that through, and every single step had to happen before we had thought it would need to happen. But luckily, fortunately, thanks to some good foresight, we were in a position to make good decisions at each moment. But yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's everybody's, everybody is figuring out how to transition to work from home, what has to be done, what can't be done, what can people whose jobs really require being in an office, what can they do to support the company during this time? I think it's just, and and I think the fact that this is a crisis, everybody's going in together means I think the, the most important thing is just being generous and and patient and, and trying to do your part to be upbeat, to recognize that we're all figuring this out together. I want to talk more about the upbeat part in a second, but um, just walk me through how 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 a love it or leave it show is working now. So I, I went and saw you live. I don't know a couple months ago. It's I thought it was really impressive. You've got notes in hand. You're kind of loosely reading from them. You seem like you've memorized a lot of stuff. You're also working with the crowd. You've got a, a live. You've got guests up there. That's not happening. So what's happening in its place? How much time and effort does it take to put the the remote show together? Yeah, I mean it takes the same amount of work to put the remote show together. I love doing the live show. Thank you for coming. I I love the feedback and the conversation we have with the crowd. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed, you know, what, like it's a small thing, but just noticing over the last three years what people were ready to laugh about, what they weren't. What about 2016 can we joke about yet? How are people, how brittle are people? How emotional are people? How safe are certain areas? Like, I think that that's just valuable on top of just the collective experience of sharing in the ridiculousness, the absurdity, the frustrations together. And so the question we had when we realized we were going to have to go not just to studio, but now just from my house is how do we continue that feeling, but know that it's not with an audience. So uh, one of the things we're going to maybe, we're also, we also just sort of said, and by the way, let's just try stuff because we're all home this is an opportunity to just be experimental. Everyone's going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's figure some stuff out. So one thing we said was, okay, uh, we don't have an audience, but we like to talk to the audience. So let's have people call in. So suddenly Love It or Leave It became a call-in show. And that's been really fun and really interesting. And you get to, you know, we, we asked couples to call in with disputes that they were having. And me and my partner, Ronan, adjudicated those disputes. And, but inside of those calls, we're also asking, you know, how are you? How is your job? And, you know, have you had to go to work? Have you not had to go to work? Have you, do you know people who are losing their jobs? You know, anyone who's sick, you know, we're hearing from everybody from, you know, we're doing this across the network now too. And we're hearing from, from mail carriers who are terrified because they have to go to work and it's not, they don't feel as though the post office is prepared to, to doctors and nurses, to home health aides and bartenders and waiters and, and, and all the rest. And I think that gives people a sense of connection. And, you know, our, our head writer, Travis Helwig, has done a great job of trying to adjust and figure out with me and the team and, 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 and how we can best do what I think we've been trying to do from the beginning with the show, which is yeah, we'll give you the information on what happened this week. We'll walk you through the news, but also have a place where you can feel like you're part of a community. Do you imagine any of the stuff that you're doing now comes back into the live show or, or too far ahead to think about that stuff right now? Haven't thought about it. Yeah. I think, of course. I think some of these things are really great and some of these things we'll continue to do, but haven't like haven't even had a moment to think, oh, wonder what the live shows will be like when we get back to doing live shows. It just feels like, 
it feels so far off. Yeah. You know? I mean, everyone initially, as everyone was shutting down and pausing and suspending things, they would put out dates. And everyone would say, oh, okay, well, it's two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. And they kept them in their head and they kept referring to these dates. And I kept thinking, those aren't dates. Those are just guesses. Um, you, yeah. No one knows. Um, certainly, no one knows. Certainly not the president. Um, do you, so just day to day, are you just like, I'm going to do today's job, which is producing this show, which is hosting this show, and we're just going day to day. Are you allow, are you allowing yourself to think a week out? I'm thinking about events we're supposed to. Oh, that's pundit. Um, that's pundit. I'm thinking about stuff that we're supposed to do in the fall and trying to figure out one plan and a plan B, because um, some of this stuff does involve a lot of moving parts and deposits and a lot of money at risk in, in case of the conferences we do. And we're trying to think about how to think through that. So. The biggest thing we've had to think through is touring, right? And so, and there's no, and what we can, all we can do is follow the guidance from experts and say, okay, we clearly won't be able to do shows here, here, and here. Yep. Uh, let's wait to cancel, say, June, right? Let's wait to cancel late May because not with any promise that we'll end up getting to do it, but right. there's no reason to cancel it prematurely. We'll follow the guidance as we get closer and take each thing day by day. And, you know, we are, we are we do touring, but we're also producing podcasts, and we're trying to produce and we're producing television, and we're trying to produce more docu series, and there's a whole bunch of things we're trying to do, and we're moving forward on that stuff. Now, some shows may launch later. A lot of the conversations, it's more of a granular thing, right? When you're thinking about like, okay, we're going to want to make this uh, documentary about this issue. Well, let's start doing everything we can do remotely, and with a podcast. There's a lot you can do remotely. You can do some of the research. You can do some even of the interviews, possibly, potentially. Yep. You start thinking about, okay, what kind of quality can we sacrifice? What kind of quality can we not sacrifice? Um, and all of those things while, you know, John, Tommy, and I just thinking through, okay, our goal here is to make sure that at the end of this crisis, and it will end, that we are as strong, if not stronger, as a company. And so what are the steps we need to take throughout this period to make sure that we can do that, to make sure that the, the many people that work at Crooked are contributing and, and doing their jobs and, and making the most of their time working at home? Um, that is, I think, a challenge a lot of people are, are figuring out in real time because no one's ever had to do this before. How's your ad business look right now as a podcaster? There's a question about uh, podcasters uh, seeing ad usage go up, usage go down, advertising go up, down. We don't, we don't know. I think it's early. I think you see, I think there are some things you see that are obvious and without getting into, I don't want to talk about specific examples, but I think there are certain things that are obvious, like certain kinds of companies that do things for travel, that do things for weddings, that those kinds of events that are maybe pulling back. But then you also see companies that have, uh, that ship to the home and other things that might see this as a chance to reach a, an audience with their product. So uh, without getting into the specifics of it, I think that there's uh, an ebb and flow and, and we have a really good sales team at Crooked and really good sales partners that are that are hustling to try to make sure that that we are uh, continuing to be a sustainable growing business uh, for the duration of this. Now, do I know what's going to happen a month from now? Do I know what's going to happen six weeks from now? No, of course not. Nobody does. But all we can do is try to manage each day, see what's coming in, see what's going out, and just figure it out with sort of a, a, a team that's out. Honestly, our sales team has been working so hard because that's their job, and they 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 understand that that a lot of the company rests on making sure that we have sales. And and thankfully, we were in a really strong position going into this, and, and I'm hopeful, confident, we'll be in a strong position when we come out of it. We love our ad salespeople. Back to the live show and, and the idea of not getting feedback um, and what's, you know, what is the audience ready for? You're great. You, you, you walk edges. Sometimes the audience boos you and you tell them to go fuck off. Anything that you want to take back that you said already or anything where you thought, oh, I could have gone farther with this? I'm sure the answer should be yes. I definitely have moments where I've regretted not going far enough, though I couldn't pull one off the top of your head. You know, I remember I emailed, I interviewed Amy Klobuchar, and it was in Minnesota, and she she was very fun, and she had a, a, a great time on stage, and the audience loved her. And I had this moment where I was like, I need to ask her about throwing things at people. Yeah. <laughs> and... And she had, it was actually early on and she had been asked about it several times. And I had this moment where I was like, why am I asking? Am I asking to prove something to myself? Because I think the audience will be annoyed. And after this really great experience she had, just having a fun interview that would be good for the crowd, it would just sort of end with a kind of dismal uh, feeling. And I didn't do it. I didn't ask the question. And there are times where I think, well, maybe I should have. And then now looking back on it, 
I'm kind of glad I didn't because I would just would have been one more person asking for the sake of proving I was willing to do it. And I didn't. But um, in terms of going too far, no, I don't. I do think one of the lessons of 2016, which we've really internalized, is the only time I ever would feel regret is if I said something was going to happen with confidence. And then it didn't happen. And I really don't want to put myself in the position of doing that because I think a lot of people, uh, you know, when they run out of things to say about the present, start talking about the future. And I just want to make sure I'm avoiding doing that. I wanted to say something pithy about not making declarative uh, uh, sentences, but I'll just pass because I don't have my brain cells working. I'm also sitting on the floor of my bedroom um, because we determined- why is, why is, that a, is that the most dead soundy place? That's apparently, yeah, that's my podcast closet. I'll send you a photo later. It's, it's very glamorous. I'm in middle age. I'm a middle-aged man sitting cross-legged on the floor of my bedroom. That's what's going on. It keeps you young. <laughs> my circulation's going. Uh, let's, let's leave on this note. Um, how should we keep ourselves upbeat in a, a moment of great despair that looks like it's going to get much worse in the near future? Well, if you figure that out, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know how any of us are supposed to deal with this. There are two things that have stuck with me. One was a tweet that said, it's like none of you have ever been through a global pandemic economic crash with a reality show president, and it shows. Uh, and I really appreciated that because it was a reminder that we are all figuring this out together. And there's a little bit of, um, I feel this myself. It's like three weeks ago, we're doing podcasts about Super Tuesday. Yep. And our biggest worry is Super Tuesday. And hey, there's maybe something going on with this coronavirus. It's a little bit nerve wracking, a little bit scary. Two weeks later, it's the only story. And all of a sudden, we're having this conversation, and we're trying to break down the latest in the news. And the latest in the news is this one-time event, you know, something that, yes, people like Fauci, experts, Trump's own uh, intelligence agency predicted, worried about, worried about in the immediacy of it arising in China. But nonetheless, like, this is an unprecedented experience for everybody. And just remembering that, that nobody has all the answers, that, yes, it's scary, that there may not be, at times, a feeling of a silver lining is fine. Um, the one thing I would say too is like, I tweeted this and I mean it, which is um, call the friends you text and text the friends you ignore. You need it. You need it more than you realize. Video chat with people you wouldn't think you would normally do that with. You will discover once the video chat begins that you're hungry for it. Uh, nobody wants to let the calls end. Reach out to the, I also do think that there's a, obviously there, there are people struggling with addiction and mental illness. Uh, and loneliness and depression in their homes right now. And I think that's really, really hard. And so reach out to those people. But even those sort of acute situations aside, and it's a big thing to put aside, I do think there's a dichotomy between people in families and couples and people who are alone, living alone, even if they have a great social network, great support network, great family in other cities. I think that there's a huge divide, people who are alone right now, people who have somebody with them right now just all the time. And so if you're one of those people who is alone, you know, tell someone that you're feeling lonely, just, we should all just tell each other we're lonely. Be more open, be more vulnerable. And for those of us in our lives, like think of all of our single friends, call them, reach out to them. I, I, I don't know what else we can do through this. And then the only other piece of it that was on my mind, uh, you know, Andrew Cuomo, and, and look, <laughs> there's a, everyone feels this needs to caveat when they praise Andrew Cuomo. Like, I know, I know Andrew Cuomo. However, that's where we are. Yeah. And, and I will think about what Andrew Cuomo said about it being this much time. I think about it all the time. That whether it's three months, whether it's nine months, whatever the length of time is, whatever, however bad it gets, it is a period of time. And it has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. And I try to keep myself focused on that, knowing that I am in such a privileged position that I'm, you know, I'm here with my partner. I have a, a fridge full of food. I have this wonderful dog. I have this outlet to, to talk to people. I am as lucky as people get. I am as lucky as people get. And still I have moments of, of real of fear, of real dread. And so I just try to keep that in mind and think about what I can do for the people that aren't in as good a situation as me and try to keep them in the front of my mind. Not to mention, you know, the doctor friends I have who have pre-existing conditions themselves and are trying to figure out if they can go sleep in their garage because they don't want to go near their kids or if they can still go to the hospital because they're pregnant and all the many difficult moral and, and practical and health choices that people are making right now. So I don't have a really good answer. That was a I don't have good any one. good answer except to be generous with our, uh, uh, our own vulnerability and generous with our own 
compassion. You're a wise man and a good man. I'm worried about Andrew Cuomo because if he's our Giuliani, I'm a little worried about where we're going to find Mr. Cuomo in, in 18 years. Uh, we can do that in another podcast. Giuliani, listen, Giuliani is a great example of what happens when machismo meets loneliness. That is a man who needed a fucking friend. He needed friends. <laughs> I hope everyone who listened to this has a friend. If not, um, I don't know what I can do to help you, but I'm sure we can figure something out. Um, John, thank you for your time. Be well. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Thanks again to John Lovett for taking time to do that remote interview with us. This next interview is something I did with John Gabris in the beginning of March. This is when you could still fly to Los Angeles, even though when I was flying to Los Angeles that week, people were wiping down their seats. There were some face masks, but the world hadn't shut down yet. Uh, you will hear John and I talk a little bit about coronavirus and pandemics um, in a joking manner, but that's, I think, just sort of a, a snapshot of, of what life was like just a few weeks ago when this seemed like a bad thing, but not a thing that would... Uh, endanger everyone we know. Um, maybe we were naive. Obviously, we were naive. Anyway, I think this is useful. John is someone I've followed for a long time on Twitter, on podcasts. I think he's great. He is someone who has made a career, uh, not the career he imagined, but he's made a career using the internet and podcasts and a lot of hustle. Uh, and again, I think he's a great talker, so you'll enjoy it no matter what. And you might even get some sense of sort of how to turn the internet into something that can work for you, even if it's not what you imagine doing right away. Uh, here's John. Enjoy. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me not coming to you from Vox Media headquarters in New York City. But what do we call this, John? Is this West Hollywood? This is, yeah, West Hollywood. Uh, WeHo? Does anyone call it WeHo? Or is that just a People refer to it as WeHo, I think. Uh, I feel like it's one of those things where, like, if you live in West Hollywood, you don't say WeHo. Like, if you live in San Francisco, you don't say San Fran. Or right, whatever. I think that's yeah. right. Yeah. So that, that person you hear is John Gabris. Correct. Successful comedian, podcaster, raconteur. Uh, he's hosting this podcast today. I'm I'm in his office right yes, now. Yes, you're speak. in the High and Mighty Studios. Thanks, thanks or for Valverde, me, depending on what we can call this, the Recode Studios, because it really is just an extra room in my house. <laughs> it's a nicely appointed room. I'm very Thank happy you. to be here. Thank it you. smells familiar. Yes, that would be. It smells uh, like rooms I've been in before. Yeah, it's uh, my anti-anxiety medicine has a strong scent. I apologize. <laughs> it just smells like dude. That's what it smells like. There's a dude smell to it. So like I said, John is someone um, who's got a great podcast I listen to called High and Mighty and another one called. There's Action Boys. Action Boys, which yeah. I don't listen to because you want me to pay for it. Yes. Uh, well, I don't care. If, I don't want you to pay for it. But it I want money. people in general to pay for it. Yeah, it's fine to pay wall. And you're someone I've been listening to for a several years now. I think I've been trying to get you to do this for a couple yes, of years. Yes, we, we, this is a long-running DM conversation that finally came into play. It worked out. Twitter's good yeah. for something. Um, <laughs> well, we're constantly in each other's cities for 48 to 72 hours, and we're hey, like, can connect? we switch? No. <laughs> not this probably time. Probably not. Yeah. It's not going to happen. The best laid plans, though, it's always like, yes, oh, for sure. Never mind. I forgot that I have to do eight things that day. Let's uh, make it. But here we are now. Made you fly from the East Coast to my apartment to During talk to During a pandemic, me. no less. Yeah, well, thank you. And it's the mic is picking up the audio great despite you wearing the outbreak suit. So, <laughs> as you can tell, John's pretty good at talking. You might be hearing his dog outside too. Yeah. We'll let him in at some point. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about your career, what you're doing, how you got here, where you think everything is going to go. Did I sum up sort of what you're doing professionally correctly? Actor, comedian, yeah, podcaster? I'm, so, I'm sort of like my accountant or like the government would consider me a podcaster, but I consider myself to be an actor, writer, comedian. You know, I eventually the delineation and the titles are going to be I'm still hesitant to call myself a comedian because I don't do like pure stand up all the time, which, and that's just me being a comedy nerd afraid for of stolen valor or some shit like that. But, uh, <laughs> um, I, I think as the business uh, goes on, we're all going to like the type, the definitive titles are going to be stripped away because it's like Conan O'Brien has a podcast now. Like, He's like 12 steps of his career past anyone else who's like was kicking off podcasts now. So Martha Stewart, people have podcasts. So I don't Hillary know. Clinton would you call Conan, Yeah, would you call Hillary Clinton a podcaster? I think now, now you would actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Finally, uh, we were equals again. <laughs> finally lined HRC. Up. <laughs> um so saying the IRS considers you a podcaster, so the translation is that's where you're making most of your money. That's today. what, I, yeah. I, I like I for a long time was looking at podcasting as sort of my day job to being a comedian, and then it took like therapy and conversations and like me 
sort of loosening my definition of what my career was to be to realize that like how much I was getting out of uh, both like uh, creatively, emotionally, financially, and like socially what I was getting out of podcasting. You're, you're good at it. You should you should feel good about it. It's it's really something I, that I didn't know really what it was ten years ago, but upon falling into it, I, f- I find it's something that I'm actually built for. Like I've been at. It's one of those things like you know like oh Michael Phelps uh, found swimming, but he also happens to have huge lungs, long arms, uh, weak ankle, uh, weak flexible ankles, all these like genetic anomalies that make him even better at swimming. I didn't. Really realized for the last 35 years of my life, 38 years now, I've been accumulating uh, movie knowledge, uh, video game, all these like trigger point uh, podcast conversation topics. And I've also gained the ability to speak ad nauseum about anything and be, and I'm comfortable being forthcoming. And so that's like, makes you a gold mine for podcasting. Yes, like, you're it, the perfect podcast guest. I'm just going to stop talking and you keep going. What's the, what's your equivalent of uh, having weak ankles? What's the podcasting equivalent of flexible um, ankles? I'm, uh, I don't overthink what, I don't overthink what I'm saying, which could be for the worse, but at least will, uh, I have decade, you know, decade and a half of uh, professional improv training. So I'm trying to be funny. I, I guess you could say like, my wife might say he's always on with an eye roll, but that's probably okay in a podcast guest. Not great in a husband slash roommate, but <laughs> it works for when you invite me over to your house in Silver Lake so I could go over must love dogs with you or whatever the fuck the premise of your podcast. Hey, speaking of must hey, love speaking dogs, of dogs, this is Arthur. He'll sit hey, next Arthur. to you and he's a little worked up. Say hi, Arthur. <laughs> Arthur, get down, bud. <laughs> um, what was the pl- so you are like many people who live in this town who came out here to do something. Yeah. To, what was the plan? Uh, I've never really known what exactly I want to do in comedy, but it was to make money doing comedy. Get paid to entertain yeah. people in a funny way. Yeah. And there seems to be more, at least especially seven or eight years ago when I moved here, seemed to be more of an opportunity for that out here. Uh, my, my peers from UCB and comedy in New York were all uh, moving out here. There was like a sort of mass exodus and um, people started getting work, and their shows out here, their meetings are out here. So it was like, oh, and then I found I should my, do that. Yeah, I should do that. And then finding myself out here, realizing I didn't think about how many contacts and stuff I've built up in New York, and I just moved here and like pull, accidentally cut all that off. And I was like, oh, I'm sort of. It was two steps back to take four steps forward eventually, but it that was a that was a my experience uh, upon moving here. I dealt with like depression and anxiety and stuff because I and loneliness. I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. I was just like, oh, I'll be in Hollywood and it'll be just like it is here in New York. I'll be performing all the time. Plus, I'll be on TV. And then like neither of those <laughs> events happened. <laughs> but you have been on TV. So in, in case someone is not a John Gabers fan today, yeah. and they will be by the end of this podcast, uh, where might they have seen you? If you are a uh, younger uh, uh, person and uh, if you are, uh, if you watch MTV in the 2000s. I was uh, in the in the aughts. I was on MTV for a lot of that between hosting game shows or uh, TV shows like um, Guy Code and uh, Wild and Out were sort of my big popular credits. Is this during the Jersey Shore era or post Jersey Shore? Post Jersey Shore, sort of in the MTV2 heyday when uh, Guy Code was like a rather popular show for a, a very specific demographic around the US. And then uh, maybe if you're a comedy nerd, you maybe know me more from like the Comedy Bang Bang podcast and then sort of like guest starring on all that comedy world stuff. Like, you know, I'm a, a longtime UCB guy, so maybe you know me from performing at that theater. Maybe you know me as the camera guy with one line in the recent film Bombshell. Maybe that's the only way you know me, and I don't know why you've tracked me in that movie. I'm like the 40th most famous person in that movie. But... uh Like, do you get random... Will someone who you know from back in the day go, oh, I was just watching... Some random movie and you came on for a minute and I recognized you. Yes. I wasn't sure if that was you with this Yes, year. yes. That'll happen to me. So like, especially because there's with Netflix now where like everybody has Netflix. So if you end up doing something that ends up on Netflix, eventually someone's like, I just was drunk and put this nun movie on and you were in it, you know? I've worked my so much my whole life on all different shit, and then I did one episode of uh, Nailed It on Netflix, and everyone was texting me being like, uh, my daughter uh, loves Nailed It, and she was so excited, and, and when I said I knew you, can you record a video? I'm like, I'm in one episode were of this Were you a judge, ran- or were you, did you make the cake? I was just a random judge, yeah, with because uh, my, my, Nicole, my friend, hosts it, and she just had me uh, be a ran- uh, like a guest judge on this episode, and it was like the most amount of, you know, it was like a fuck. Like, 
a non-union uh, game show uh, unscripted shoot day. It wasn't a big deal career-wise, but I had no idea how many people were going to be watching that show at the time. Everyone who's on a Netflix show says that, by the way. There's this whole debate about whether people are watching it and what the numbers really are, but if you talk to someone who's got a show, they go, no, no, you get stopped in the airport. Right. I've been with uh, my friend Betsy Sodaro, who did uh, the the, sh- the weed sh- Chuck Lorre's Weed Show, uh, which his name is escaping me right now, uh, which had like 20 episodes on Netflix. I got my ass eaten in the Workaholics movie Game Over Man, uh, and I, that comes up a lot. <laughs> I have seen that movie, but I, I can't say I was conscious for all of it, so I think I missed that part. Yeah, you missed the part when, at gunpoint, uh, Utkarsh is uh, forced to eat my uh, prosthetic ass. <laughs> I'm going to go back and rewatch it. I yeah, guess I was just ha- watching The Other Guys, <laughs> which is a Will Ferrell movie. I love The Other Guys. Which I knew that I wanted to watch, but I couldn't watch it. And anyway, it popped up, and it's full of... Young. I'm a comedy nerd and a, a UCB guys who are just who are like we're just around the theater. Yeah, because Gethard Schwartz, uh, I mean Riggle is in it. Uh, Mike Delaney is kind of is a that big the part. shorter dude? Yeah, the guy yeah. who accidentally sells the pension to the crooked uh, Ponzi to the K- Steve Coogan Ponzi scheme. He's at the end of the movie too when they he's, go to the shoot up. Yes, because he's I used to go to UCB all the time and go to ASCAT and there was like this crop of guys and then he was sort of the one other guy. Who, he was the one that you don't recognize from TV, right. but he's yeah. very funny. He, Mike Delaney, I'll take this moment to shout him out. He was my first real improv guru that I experienced. Like he was my level two, three, and four teacher at UC, uh, three, four, and so forth at UCB because I started working with him and he he was he had such an academic approach, but was sort of quasi ruthless with people. Um, and maybe just because he had like some sort of uh, social disorder, but he would set, tell it like it is. And he had such good comedy taste that I like strived that was an environment for me to really try to succeed in. I was like, I want to make this guy laugh. Cause I'm like a goofy, try everything loud, obnoxious class clown type comedian. And Delaney's like this smart, like, you know, quiet like, sniper comedian. Like being funny in that way is great, but you can do more with that. Yeah. And like wanting to impress him. And that like made me f- fully start to understand like the, uh, UCB improv ethos of like, yes, ending and, uh, building the worlds. And st- uh, if that is true, then what else is true? All those dynamics that you learn kind of locked into place from that guy. So it's funny because Delaney is like that sort of behind the scenes guy that a lot of late nineties, early two thousands, uh, New York comedians would know, but not everyone would know until you watch yeah. other guys. And that's Which you should definitely chance. watch. It's <laughs> yeah. also like, it's a, it's a McKay movie. It's, it's a Will Ferrell movie and it's Will Ferrell being dumb with, with one of the Wahlbergs with Mark, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> but it's also, you can see how Adam McKay is going from like funny guy to politically angry guy. Well, it's funny because the movie starts like Step Brothers, but ends like Big Short, yeah. which is a very fun, like it's a, the movie is like the, you get a whole lecture of, about tarp and bailouts. Yeah, yeah. You learn about like a it teaches you what a Ponzi scheme is in the credits, which is kind of interesting. And you could just see that's McKay's kicking off point to be like, we actually, I could probably do even more to uh, alert people to this. So I want to explain what the UCB is and how you got there and how you got there from there to here, and then we can talk about internet and streaming and Quibi. But, sure. Uh, but <laughs> Ooh, first, we'll take a can't quick wait break. To Quibi, and we'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Indeed. Imagine the perfect employee. Let's call her Jackie. Jackie is professional yet relaxed, punctual, friendly, meets deadlines, and just makes your job easier overall. But the search for Jackie can be long and tedious, especially when you have so many other things on your plate. Indeed wants to help you find your next Jackie. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. They leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. So their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. That means they can better connect you with your Jackie. And listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. 
Visit Mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Back here with John Gabris. Still here. Still here. Are you wearing a Yeti t-shirt? I am wearing a Yeti t-shirt. That's the super expensive uh, water coolers? Oh, hell coolers. yeah. And and cups and uh, and drinking. Are they uh, sponsors? No, they're not. They should be because I, they're one of the products I actually believe. Like, I rarely spend money on anything. But like a Yeti cooler and a Yeti mug to drink out of are the best investments I've had. <laughs> you and I are both Mack Weldon uh, That's endorsers. true. I could like, this uh, This drawer is currently exploding with Mack Weldon underwear. I'm a big fan. <laughs> it works. Recode for 20% off or whatever John's code is. Mighty for uh, 22% off. No, I'm just <laughs> so, someone literally DM me yesterday saying, I'm, I'm traveling somewhere and I want to buy the underwear. Does the code still work? I think so. <laughs> Give it, it a go. It did. <laughs> I can confirm that it still works. Awesome. Um, so you were saying that you, you started off sort of at Upright Citizens Brigade in, yeah. in New York. We should explain what that is because it's a big deal in entertainment now. Yeah, sure. It, it's sort of like a comedy college in a way. It's an improv theater built by the uh, the sketch comedy group, improv group called the Upright Citizens Brigade, which probably a lot of people know uh, Amy Poehler and Matt Walsh of Veep from, but also Ian Roberts and Matt Besser, where the original used to be for. They moved from Chicago, where they were doing a lot of their own stuff, to open up uh, a theater, which then also became a school and uh, sort of blew up, you know, and uh, it ended up being a pretty big... I eventually joined in, uh, like, 2003. I took my first class. And then you eventually you go through the classes, and if you... Uh, so you pay money. Yeah, you pay money to take classes. It's an actual business, right? Right, yeah. And it's like... Uh, uh, you're actually, and now it's actually an accredited university, so you could like be earning credits towards a, a some some sort of degree there. But at the time, it was just like sixteen weirdos learning this like uh, weird uh, comedy martial art called so the, the improv or the Harold. So the, the, the improv comedy used to be Second City, based in Chicago and some other places, and right. also Groundlings. Groundlings is kind LA. of famous one in New York. They had like Chicago City Limits, a lot of short form type stuff. But then these guys came from Chicago, created this hub in New York. Amy yeah. Poehler went on to be a giant star. Right. But beyond that, they created this really influential hub of comedy in New York. Yeah, they kind of got the uh, alt scene uh, and a lot. Of, I mean, a lot of stand ups uh, performed at UCB through the days, but like comedians who were not stand ups found a home of where, like, oh, I'd like to do improv or write sketches or wear costumes and do one man, like, you know, one man character shows or one person character shows. So people uh, sort of gravitated towards that. So I remember my friend's friend worked for Conan. And he said, oh, we're, I, we're gonna, I'm going to go to this improv thing. You should come with, check it out. We went and saw it. It blew us away. And like Janine Garofalo was in the audience. We thought that was super cool. Um, how did you get exposed to it? I, uh, I got exposed to it uh, sort of. I... Was a fan. I'm a TV uh, fan for TV and movies fan before anything else, and I was had been a fan of the Upright Citizens Brigade sketch show. I love sketch comedy, and then I was doing improv in college and making short, you know, video sketches. That was something you could do in college. You could do improv in college. Yeah, I was doing short form and sketch and making videos with like a group, like a small division of the theater group that was like comedy based, and we did like the big show every semester and like a smaller little show so halfway this through is the year. Around what time? This would be 2000 to 2000. So, so when you want to put a video, when you want to make your comedy video and put it on the internet, that's not. Like, oh, you're not. We, we're not, not even putting it on the internet. We're putting no, it on a projector okay. for a, a theater. We don't even know. So the internet exists, but it's pre-YouTube. It's yeah. basically impossible to do this stuff. Eventually, my senior year, I would uh, see a group based out of Bard, which actually has a lot of uh, pretty wild graduates called Old English, and Old English had put their videos on QuickTime, and I'd never seen like that was like my first instance. This would be 2003 maybe of clicking like oldenglish.com checking out their website and then seeing that they had like embedded streaming videos like the big ass QuickTime files click on to watch it just real quick that group old english two of the graduates of it off the top of my head are adam conover of adam ruins everything and uh rafael of uh bojack horseman Wow. Yeah, so that uh, and they were doing funny ass sketches back in two thousand and three. I remember seeing so their. So you're videos. doing this in college, you like it, and then you, someone takes you to UCB, or you hear about it. I or? hear about it. Th I, I know what they are through this, and then as we're walking through the city one day, when I'm home, for, I'm from Long Island. If uh, I can't believe that. that's the longest I've gone on a podcast without <laughs> mentioning that. Um, I was home uh, with some friends. We went into the Knicks game. And we're like, let's go in a few hours early and wander around the city. We're 20 now. We get it. So we're just like wandering around the city. And I see an Upright Citizens Brigade like brick and mortar location. And I'm like, that's that fucking Comedy Central show. What is this? So I go home and I 
Yahoo it or ask Jeeves it. I think this is pre-Google. When I get back to college, I Yahoo, oh, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade. And then I see a listing for a school. And I am have been learning improv. I know a little bit about more about long form because I've been going to like these co- college comedy festivals and stuff. And the website lists all this stuff like level one improv. And then it's also like, and guerrilla warfare training. It was like, you know, such an early internet site that it was like a lot of, it was very bit heavy. Yeah. But I was like, let me see what this is all about. And I took my first class, my summer in between junior and senior year. I was working as a Jones Beach lifeguard. Also, uh, check the Gabrus bingo board. I mentioned being a lifeguard on the podcast. Uh, and then uh, I would go like one night a week after being in the sun all day, get on the train, go in and take improv as like this 20-year-old kid in flip-flops with all these like adults. And what does it cost to take an improv class then? I think it was $275 or $300. So it's a, a real commitment if you it's don't re- have money. Yeah, yeah. It's a real commitment. I remember... To take one class, I remember going to the ATM, taking out $300, and going up to Chad Carter, very funny writer, performer, and handing him $300 cash when he was just like an intern. And I was like, I'd like to t- – now everything is obviously so much easier to do, but I'm like, I guess the easiest way is to go walk to the where their office is and hand someone $300. gives you an idea of how old I am. <laughs> and, but so this is a thing that you're doing because it seems fun, but also at that point do you think – this is something I might want to actually do for real. Yeah, I never thought about actually doing it for real. But as my senior year came around, uh, in my junior year, I learned uh, how to edit from one of the people in my comedy group. And then my senior year, me and some of the people in the group, we made a bunch of short films. And I was like, this has been the most fun I've ever had. And they were, they're awful. And they're all, we shot them on mini DV and like edited them on Avid and all this stuff. And uh, they were terrible, but I had, that was the most fun I had doing. So I'm like, this is what I want to do. I just don't know exactly what that is. So I got a job as like a PA at VH1 because there was a little bit of like my comedy group would graduate. That's production assistant. That just means gopher. Yeah, yeah. It means just uh, transcribing tapes, fetching things, whatever. You're making like $280 a week after taxes or whatever. It's nothing working like 50 or 60 hours. But the thing was someone from my comedy group would always graduate at their senior year, intern at VH1. And then that graduate would then go like, hey, if you want to intern at VH1, I can recommend. And so we would just, uh, there was always someone from the humorists, which was the Marist improv group, the humorists. Uh, someone was always interning at VH1. Like we were just constantly sending someone down there. Shout out from Jeff Baumgartner, who's like class of like 96, all the way down it's to like me. like your class. version of the, the Harvard Lampoon. It's the Harvard Lampoon, but it's like, or Simpsons. it's pretty much, that pretty much explains Marist in a nutshell too. It's like, we're a lot like Harvard, except we can get one person an internship at Viacom. <laughs> Enjoy the free root beer. You're never going to work at The Simpsons. <laughs> but uh, then uh, when I got the job at VH1 as a PA, I was like, oh, cool. Now I'm going to be like a city person. I'll take more improv classes. And despite Viacom being an awful freelancer type situation where, you know, no benefits, no protection, you, you no anything. It's sort of privilege for you to work there because it's a cool place. Yeah, it's idea. just, yeah, they, they're running off that. It's, it is MTV. Granted, it's at its death now. It's 2004, right. 2005. Or Vice was five yeah, years ago. Exactly. But like I was working on Best Week Ever, which was like VH1's. Like I, I interned on I Love the 90s Part Duh, and then I PA'd at Best Week Ever. So that was like sort of the, a prestige job, despite it being a terribly difficult hindsight. But the one cool thing Viacom did do was pay for your uh, furthering your education, for continuing ed. So I got them to start paying for my UCB classes. And uh, I would get $300 like a semester from Viacom on top of my pay. And that was like all you needed to keep me at this job. Thank was you, I was like, I'm work, yeah, working f- 50 to 70 hours a week, uh, going to late night comedy shows, taking my improv class, staying up late, drinking with the kids from my improv class and just like living that full like city struggling. I, I mean, I'm sure there are a thousand people who have a similar experience to me at that point. But that was just like, I remember being like completely enamored. And with you're the thinking, this is, I want to do some version of this. The LA part hadn't occurred to you right, yet. Yeah. But I didn't even know like exactly about like acting and writing and stuff. I was just like, when I was on uh, Best Week Ever, I was meeting these comedians who are doing talking head stuff. Some of the writers behind the scenes were very cool people who were like talking to me and teaching me about potential paths and stuff. And I was just, and I'm still now, this is 16 years later, I'm 38 years old. And I still don't know exactly what I want to do in this business, but I know 
it's weird. At the same time, I don't know what I want to do in this business at all, future wise. But I am currently also doing, I think, exactly what I want to do. Seems like it. Yeah, I don't have to uh, temp anymore. I don't really teach workshops anymore. All these jobs that I eventually you got tired of. You are a working of. entertainer living in Los Angeles, right? right? So yeah. you're in a pretty small group. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm married to a woman who's had a full time job for 15 years with benefits and health insurance. So there is an element of I a get- lot of people have some kind of <laughs> help one way or another. But the point yeah. is that you're you're doing the thing you want to do. Right. Exactly. So, and that's what I kind of, through therapy and my own efforts, like have to keep reminding myself because it's so easy to look at your more successful peers or uh, look at the misses in your life. Uh, and instead, you have to like every once in a while reevaluate, look back, and be like, "Shit, like I can't believe this is what I did today on a Wednesday." Yeah, to be clear, like you, if you're listening to this podcast, you may not have heard of John, but you tour now, and, and people listen to this podcast and show up to see you because they've heard the podcast and pay yeah. some form of money often to come yes, see you. Yeah, I, I make like the money a teacher makes uh, doing a podcast. Like, that's a wild... I didn't know that was a possibility five years ago. I am currently doing it. I do it uh, mostly out of my house, which is very enjoyable for me as a lazy person. Um, it's a very much a sweatpants or pajamas type gig, which I fucking love. Uh, but yeah, and I, I'm surprised when I go on tour. A live podcast is literally the most inconvenient. And if you listen to any of my live podcasts, I probably open with this joke. It's truly the most inconvenient way to listen to a podcast is to pay money and drive to a location when it's going to be playing while you do dishes if you want later on that week. But instead, people show up and I've, I'm honored that people would like want to see my show live. In I want to divert quickly. So what's uh, what? It's the Power Hour. Yeah. So uh, explain what that is. A Power Hour. Don't is a, do it. Yeah. No, please. I can't right now. I can't anymore. I don't think. So except every the audience not to do it. <laughs> except every Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, uh, power Hour is an old college drinking game. I'm sure. You can do it if you didn't go to college, but I learned it in college. And it's a shot of beer every minute for 60 minutes. And you do this live on stage with other people. Yeah, we do it live on stage with other people. It's sort of a now become a tradition out here. I do it every uh, Thanksgiving Eve, which uh, for a lot of people is the biggest party night of the year. I mean, not when you're 38. It is when you're in college or in high school and you're traveling and stuff. But uh, the power hours become sort of – and I don't do it at every live show because it is unsustainable and I am 38 and, like, trying to get away from drinking. So – but I still love to do it every once in a while because there is something, like – I enjoy the weird, like, sort of danger of it all. <laughs> yeah, if it doesn't sound compelling, try listening to one anyway. It, uh, it, it, watching someone get drunk in real time or listening yeah. to them get drunk in real time is more compelling than yes, you Yeah, or play, uh, sit down in your next party with five friends and say, like, hey, for the next 60 minutes, let's listen to this podcast and drink along. Because you can do a shot of beer every minute with us. I'm, I'm a little cringing now, too. Yeah, actually, maybe not your listening. Yeah. <laughs> do, Protect yourselves, actually. Do, do whatever you like. I'm yeah. not endorsing it one way or another. Do you, do you ever think back? and go or man if i had an iphone if i had youtube if i had twitter all the stuff that you could use now if you wanted to create yourself a comedy career from nothing do you think about what that path would be like for you do you think it's actually pretty similar i think it's pretty similar because i'm older but i'm not too old that i sort of as my career progressed all these things were coming off as i sort of like I remember I joined Instagram because people at on the show Guide Code were like, no, you should have an Instagram. People are, this is going to be a thing. And I was like, oh, okay. I joined Twitter for the same reason. I was like, well, you should promote the show that you're working on. I'm like, oh, okay. And like, so I never, the only thing I think I missed out on was like, if it would have hit like four years earlier, I would be probably making way more videos. Like if like the ease of iPhones and YouTube, because in college, I was using like a Sony DV cam that I purchased and avid editing machines from the school. Right, to you make had to sure. find equipment, either yeah. procure it or I had to learn it, it from a student. They didn't even teach it at the school. I taught the workshop in my advanced TV production class. And you still end up with a crappy looking product. Yes, and it's still a shot by kit, no lighting or anything like that. But then the like five years later, 10 years, you know, eight years later, everything kind of, uh, you know, you had a decent camera in your pocket, like uh, something that could shoot as much as a Sony DV cam. And you're like, Fuck. Like, if that would have hit five years earlier when I wasn't already struggling in the throes, that would have been, like, what do you a think, delight. What, and what do you think about the internet as a place to make jokes and learn how to tell jokes and write jokes as opposed to doing stuff live? I mean, obviously, lots of people do both. Right. But it seems to me there are people now who have, like, made careers for themselves starting out on the internet, and then they might even go somewhere else. Yeah, I know. That's really hard. And as someone who didn't start on the internet, I'm going to have like that chip on my shoulder of like, no, you got to like get your 10,000 hours of live performance before you can consider yourself. But in reality, however you get going is how you get going. But I have seen 
Uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of people who made their bones on stage show their ass on the internet, but I've seen a very fair amount of people who made their bones on the internet show their ass trying to do something live on stage. Like, uh, a lot so of- So like, I'm good at writing jokes on Twitter. Turns out that's entirely different turns than Turns out it's not exactly stand-up. It turns out it's not exactly a writer's room. It's not exactly uh, my person. I'm, I'm not necessarily my personality, or I'm used to doing these weird characters. This doesn't translate to the at the Just for Laughs Montreal Festival or whatever. But I also feel like it goes the other way, too, where like- in older, more traditional stand-up, maybe their stuff doesn't translate back. I think the one thing that I, I, I quote-unquote, pride myself on, but really what it took was retroactively looking, is that I've sort of never shit on any form of it in that I'm not necessarily excelling at all. I guess you would say I'm very focused on podcasting, but... I try, I'm trying everything, you know, I'm like uh, making jokes on Twitter, talking, you know, doing uh, podcasts, doing other people's podcasts, performing live, pitching shows, acting in things, making shorts with friends. I've never judged, like even as long as I've been doing improv, I've been doing sh uh, kind of shitty uh, stand up and like a lot of people eschew one for the other or whatever. But for me, I'm just like, I'm going to just... Trial of things. Yeah, I, and I'm I'm just like that in life about everything. I'm I'm like a curious person. I want to try everything. I want to leave a country or a location and not have missed anything. Do you have people saying, "Look, you should really concentrate on pick a thing, yeah. acting I have like, or podcasting yeah. or writing. Do one of those, hammer at that, and then that's how you're going to really succeed." Yeah, it's hard because that is the answer, right? Is like to really focus on something, but it's really hard to focus on something like, for example, acting where there's so many gatekeepers and so not up to me. Um, you know, where I, the pa podcasting, I kind of take the power into my own hands. You make it, it, you put it on the internet, people listen or they yeah, don't. Or, the, or they don't. And uh, no one says like, hey, look, love the interview you did with Peter, but could you like maybe show, can it be a little more grounded? And what if like there's a sister character? It's like, no, no, no. It's like, that's my podcast. Deal with it. It's fine if you don't like it. But with the acting world, there's like, you know, it feels like, and I'm not, particularly good at the uh, auditioning or or arguably even acting and auditioning is even harder and even weirder than acting i'm very good at being funny which doesn't always translate itself to castable but it works as a podcast guest so like you're a big guy who looks like a guy who was a frat brother in college who played rugby because i think that's yes. all true right yes yes do you find people saying well that's a, there's a specific role that you can be it and you but also you can't be this guy it used to be more like that. It, unfortunately, this is going to maybe sound a little tone deaf, and for, uh, you know, please don't cancel me for this. But it used to be like the fat guy was the diversity hire in uh, in sitcoms. It would be like, look, we have seven beautiful people, but we have one. Uh, we, we're getting I mean, a lot of fat person there, but he's oh, don't worry, he's white. You know what I mean? Like, don't worry, there it's a white straight male, but he's overweight, so he's the weird, he's the interesting one, and now it's sort of gone the way of like, yes, every uh, TV show should be more. But I think there's still an element of like, well, you can't have a, the heavy set lead character. And there's also sort of the, we, we've overdid it with like the schlubby guy, hot wife uh, dynamic, yeah, yeah. which unfortunately is actually an, uh, an American trope. I don't trope. know why you're saying unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but it is an American trope. It is like, there's a reason why it uh, is yeah. reflected in the media because a lot of women will. <laughs> there's king of queens and then a million more. Yeah, exactly. But like uh, for me, I'm not exactly like a big weird looking guy, but I'm not also like a traditional Hollywood handsome guy. And I am in this weird age where I'm not like, uh, I, I don't look necessarily like a dad, but I'm not a frat boy anymore. So I'm like at this weird point in my life where like, I truly don't know what I would be cast as except for something where someone's like 30 or eight year old podcaster who works with like someone would have to write me my Marin or whatever, or my like my biopic script for it to for me to book it. But I'm assuming there's a Judd Apatow podcasting movie coming out. Yeah, any, there's any not. And you know what, Judd, re reach the fuck out, pal. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I tweeted some totally innocuous Trump thing the other day, yesterday, and then went back and checked and all of a sudden it was going nuts and. Judd Apatow found it somehow, and and now I'm very popular on the internet for a minute. Hell yeah, enjoy, yeah, enjoy. What, what, what affirmation? Yeah, <laughs> enjoy because it'll end. The rug <laughs> will come out. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm stuck with my podcast and my Mac Weldon. Um, so you told me you've got an audition for a sitcom coming up today. Yeah. So that's still something you would want to do, right? Is yeah. be on TV. You're not someone who would say, oh, I would never do a network show. Oh, I no, I I love it. I grew up watching network TV. I grew up watching movies. This is like. 
I want to be part of that world. But now I understand, like, because for the longest time, it, it was just always like, well, eventually I'll just get on a TV show and then I'll have the career I want. Then I'll have the money I want. Then I'll have the lifestyle I want. But it's been, you know, 15 years, eight, 16, 17 years of trying and it hasn't happened yet. I've had a, a number of large successes, but I'm also realizing, like, and like, would I want to be on four seasons of Mom? Like, is that something that be, I, I would love to do it? But I don't think that's going to be. Ah, I've achieved my goal at that point. Right, you, you won't just go home and say I, I did it. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a blast. It was fun. I met a lot of great people. My thing is, I really like to collaborate, and I, I'm currently in a situation where so much of the stuff I do is sort of my own push, like I'm my own podcast. I'm in, we're in charge of recording, blah blah blah. So it's nice, like when you do something like guest on a TV show and like you're working with other writers and other actors and it's just like that that feels more like what I imagined doing comedy was like when I was younger but also maybe the, the world has changed enough and I'll be eventually be happy doing front facing Instagram uh, characters do or whatever you, do you have a I don't know role models right? is there someone out there who you go oh that person's doing a thing that not only would I like to do but I think I can do it that seems some version of that seems like something I could do today yeah yeah there's I mean there's a lot of people who aspirationally I enjoy like Seth Rogen, uh, I think is an obvious, uh, but then there's also like, um, Jason Siegel who sort of did his thing and he, on top of him directing and acting in a bunch of weird movies, he also like was a recur uh, he was a regular on how I met your mother. And it sort of feels like that guy did the right thing where he's like, I'm in a sort of critically acclaimed sitcom that runs for a hundred episodes, but also making fun comedy movies with my friend on the side. But then there's like these podcaster guys called 85 South who are just so funny and just do whatever. But their podcast is like popular enough that they have a team behind them that like shoots video for them. They perform live all over the country. I've never heard of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're like this uh, Atlanta based uh, three uh, black comedian guys, DC Youngfly, uh, Carlos Miller and Chico Bean, who are so funny and have, are doing their own thing. And I'm sure they're doing OK for themselves based on. But they're, they're, I, I know them all from uh, they're wild and outcast members so they get to do stuff like that they get to act in movies they get to be in tv shows do stand-up tour but then they have this like them and their two buddies get to go around you know the uh, country and, making and that money. was sort of the I, it's weird to be idealistic about the internet in, in 2020 but there definitely was a phase where i was interested in the idea that oh the internet can maybe it won't make you rich and famous but maybe it will allow you to do a thing you like find an audience of people who like the thing that you do or make yeah. or whatever. And you don't need to reach millions of people. You can reach a segment of people. And it turns out that almost in every case that always sort of falls apart and you need to be enormous to make an advertising business work. Or, right, right. But I think there are lots of people like you or 85 South and on and on where they're like, no, no, you can sustainably do this. Yeah, well, the thing I'm learning, and uh, it's not just Patreon, but Patreon sort of really put a uh, pointed at what the future business model could potentially be is like, if you're a writer writing online and you're making a few hundred bucks a month from freelance articles, but you're doing mostly free writing, if you launch a Patreon of your writing, but you only get 50 people and they're paying three bucks a month, you're getting $150 a month for your writing. And, and it's your writing. Yes, your writing, but it's only you only need fifty people because there isn't the person at the uh, Huffington Post who's got a. Uh, hopefully, your article pops and you get paid per like, and then your rate goes up and all this. The sort of elimination of the middleman, uh, lo losing the gatekeep, the middle person, losing the gatekeepers, allows like you know for like. I, to make the comparison, like the adult film world has OnlyFans now, and it's like, oh, uh, I no longer have to make videos for this like uh, corporation. Wait, that we're, is, we're in a porn video right now. Uh, right oh yeah, porn? this is a porn. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> this will be released on my OnlyFans. Uh, I'll release it with like weird emojis covering our outfits and be like, uh, you know, uh, w w unlock the nude photos like of these two guys. <laughs> There's a lid for every pot. <laughs> I keep telling myself that. What? What? That, that's yeah. so that's something that like now they don't need vivid video or bang bro. Like they'll just be like, hey, you are a fan of me. Follow me, and you need you don't you need so few people to make it's that. Funny. I had not actually put. I knew the whole idea that like. 
the internet had sort of destroyed the existing porn business because it was all free and who's going to pay for stuff? Right. You just get I hadn't realized, well, people are still making porn. How does that business work? Right. So, yeah. So streamers killed like the, uh, and people, the money went down, but then uh, performers and directors, and they realized that they can go outside the system and go directly to the fans. I got to do my next podcast. Like if you think, because like podcast fans, like for Action Boys, one of my other podcasts, that's on Patreon. Um, and that's just like most podcasts, three adult men discussing movies at length at nauseum. But we found that it had like a weird niche following and we were like, oh, let's throw it on Patreon. And we got a hundred subscribers to start. And we were like, well, this is completely worth our time. We each take home a hundred bucks a month after we pay an engineer. We were going to do this anyway. And then all, now we have like uh, almost 3,000 subscribers and we're making like a decent monthly salary from that job. And between it's, the Patreon podcasts, Action Boys, and, and High and Mighty, which is the free one, I'll the to, which, which yeah. one is which one's making more money for you? Uh, and I'm only taking a third of the uh, Patreon, and that one's making me really because and, and it's steady because yeah. you don't always sell ads on every episode, as uh, as you may know, and uh, even some ads you're like, oh, I, this doesn't feel like the right amount of money to pay me for an ad, but <laughs> I'm happy it's not zero. And but with Patreon, like, and there's something tangible where. If you get an extra thousand listeners on one of your episodes, you're like, oh, that feels great. But that's not reflected for you financially necessarily. Right. But with Patreon, it's like, we gained five listeners this month. That's potentially $25 a month that you and you're pretty in happy perpetuity. With, you're pretty happy with Patreon. Sometimes people will, will gripe about this payment system or this rule. I think they're, it's a pretty buggy platform, but it is like one of those, like, there's nothing else right yeah. now. But I, I think the future is going to be like, the more you go, the more you go around it's a little more common in LA but the more you go to like these indie pop-up stuff and and everyone's got an iPad with a swipe my barber i i like uh venmo him or swipe yep. the the more you then you then all of a sudden you don't need a barbershop then you're like well i can cut hair at my house i have a stripe thing people come in use their credit card and then all of a sudden you can uh, take you can charge less for your haircut because you're not giving a cut to someone. Yep. You can charge less for your podcast because you don't have to put it behind this like big ass uh, company or something like that. Speaking of money, there's we're, we're in this phase now where there's a ton of it raining down in Hollywood, mostly from internet companies, Netflix, then right. Apple, Amazon. Right. And I've seen now a couple different phases. I remember I remember when Hollywood was interested in the internet, like in '99, and <laughs> Brian Grazer was doing Pop.com, <laughs> and then there was another round of it. I think with web video stuff, um, uh, Funny or Die, and that sort of peaked. How does that pile of money that's coming in from all those guys affect what you do, one way or another? Yeah, I feel like the consensus is like it's weirdly like trickle down because. Yes, Netflix is giving out huge amounts of money, but they're giving money to Kenya Barris, Ryan Murphy, Ava Duver, like all these people. Right. That makes total sense. But like and they paid Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock a ton of money. Yeah. But they also there's a there's a new stand up every minute that I look well, on that, Netflix. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. But I think because of just the quantity of things, there's a lot more ways to get yourself out there. But I think it used to be like if you got a TV show uh, in the 80s if you got a TV show you ha you could have a house in a year. Like now you can have 5 seasons of a Netflix show and since there's like you know a broken residual structure there you're not whether it's no matter how many times people watch it you might not ever They're paying you once. Yeah, they're right? paying you once you get your little new media buyout but there's elements of like there's more to do. You can get like more mid-level work it feels like. You know, there's there's no more like I don't know if there's going to ever be another um, Big Bang Theory, but there'll be tons of shows that where get chances, and then people are like, because you don't need that many fans. Like, you know, Sex Education on Netflix is wonderful. I don't know how many people are watching it, but it's a great freaking show. Do you feel like, I ask people this all the time, they usually give me the same answer. Do you feel like there's this time now where there's just a ton of money coming in and, and it, it can't last? And I should try everything I do to maximize that. And if Netflix or Quibi or whomever wants to pay me X, I, I want to do as many shows as I can because I think we got like a year or two or five years to get it done. Yeah, well, I mean, I've sort of been like that about everything that's come along. You know, like, oh, we're making web videos now. Let me let me get involved in that. Oh, podcasting is a thing. So for me, and again, uh, who knows what horse to bet on, like where we're going to be in five years, but which one of these Titans is going to be left, if any, or if on, if all, you know, it's just Apple, Netflix, Chevron owns like every, you know, entertainment pod or whatever the fuck, however we're watching it. Like there's something about just being like, well, while it's all here, I'm going to, 
be a part of as much and you've as been possible. doing that your whole career anyway like yes the exactly. yes so. i've been like oh it's uh there's ucb and that there's uh this in new york well i'm gonna train at both i'm gonna perform at both i'm gonna get get to know the stand-up people i'm gonna get to know i've sort of uh, I like enjoy meeting people doing my podcasts and like they're from all different aspects of the business and, and life. I'm, I'm going to continue to do that. You know, I'll do a talking head show on Netflix. I'll do a, 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 a makeover show on Hulu. I don't give a shit. Like I'm, I'm here. I enjoy you the did work. The baking show. I did the baking show. I enjoy the work. I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy getting out there. And at this point, I don't know if I'll ever have the thing that when I, when I, what you would use for me in a memoriam photo of like, oh, you know, Gabrus, he had eight seasons of that show, uh, you know, Dr. Uber or whatever. Um, but instead, I'll just be like, do one day on a thousand things over the course of my life, and I, I, I'll be just as happy having done that. I'm interested to see the pitch for or hear the pitch for Dr. Uber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so if, if you like listening to John, and if you're listening this far on the podcast, you like it, you should listen to John's show, High and Mighty. It's great. Like he said, he talks to everyone. A lot of times it's other white guys who have comedy podcasts. Right. Other times it's really random. Uh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of, uh, the people who inspired me when I wanted to launch a podcast was uh, my friend Jeff Rubin, who for a long time had the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin show, which was sort of like as, um, what's the word, self-involved as you could be. is like I'm picking the who I talk to and what I talk to them about. Yeah. So, and then I realized really we were both doing Joe Rogan. Just we're nerdier than, and so like I consider my podcast to be a sort of, uh, you know, a copy of a copy of a copy of Joe Rogan's podcast. There's and one you did, I think you did a series of them where you're trying to lose weight with another guy. Yeah. And you're uh, just talking about your failed efforts basically to lose weight. And I found it oddly and deeply affecting. I think that ended up being my most popular, uh, like my most downloaded episode ever, weirdly enough. Wild, okay. It's with my friend Mike Mitchell from the Doughboys podcast. And we talk about just the struggles of being fat and dealing with like uh, weight gain. I think weight the idea loss. was like, we're going to see if we can lose weight. And then I think the one I heard was, well, we tried to and it didn't. Yeah. And then it was just the two of you trying to buck each other up. Yeah, it was like seven months after we said we were going to have a weigh-in and we both bailed on the weighing in, but we thought we should meet and talk about it. Uh, another one of those will be coming up in the near future for I sure. I will listen to that one too. Um, this was well worth the effort and time <laughs> and the you. flight. Thank you. <laughs> Much appreciated. You put yourself at risk for a pandemic just to hear me say the the F word about growing up in New We're York. We're all going to get it. I did it for you, Recode Media listeners. Thank you, John. I'll thank you, and uh, thank you, Recode Media listeners. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> thanks again to John. Thanks also to John, and thanks again to you guys for listening. Special thanks to Jelani, who's producing this show, and Joel, who edits these things. We're giving a lot of work these days. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's tough to turn this stuff around quickly. He's doing a great job. Um, we would like to hear from you guys. You can at me on Twitter. You can email me. Let me know what you want to hear um, next week, coming weeks. This could be coming months. Uh, stuff about coronavirus and the pandemic and how media companies are responding. Stuff that has nothing to do with that. Um, we're open to all suggestions. Uh, the only caveat is we're going to have to figure out how to call people on the phone or on the Internet and get them to do the interview remotely which, by the way, is something I'm still figuring out how to do. So thanks for your patience. Thanks for your good words. Be safe. Be well. Talk to you soon.